Hello and welcome to the Fortune and Freedom podcast, where Nigel Farage and Nikolai Hubble give you a unique take on what's really going on in the world of finance, investing and politics. We hope you sit back and enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to this week in review with Nigel Farage. Nigel, before we get to the topics for this week, I want to ask you about something that I've been worrying about for many years now, but I haven't really been allowed to talk about it, frankly, because it's just a bit too controversial. Conveniently, Bloomberg's published an article about the same topic, which I can quote and therefore talk about. So I want to read to you, I think, about three paragraphs worth and get your reaction. CEO of Australia's top pension fund, terrified of global cash grabs. The head of Australian super, the country's biggest pension fund, warned against governments looking to tap trillions of dollars of retirement savings as economic crises mount. I'm terrified governments around the world will say, we've got an economic trauma, tap the money. Chief Executive Officer Paul Schroeder told the Australian Financial Review Super and Wealth Summit in Sydney on Tuesday. It's easy politics, horrible financial thinking, terrible for society. Schroeder, whose fund oversees 261 billion Australian dollars of assets, said there was a risk that governments saw pension funds as having the money to fix some of their toughest problems. Nigel, are you worried the governments are going to raid people's pension funds, ISAs, and whatever other tax incentive saving schemes are out there? Well, already what you've seen are the caps on what you can save into a private pension be reduced uh, to levels that sort of almost don't make sense, particularly with where inflation is running at the moment. So it's already become much harder to save for a private pension. Add to that what Gordon Brown did by taxing dividend profits. Um, and that has made a massive difference because it, because of the compounding over the last quarter of a century, that's made a huge difference to people's pension, negative difference to people's pension return. Uh, I've been lobbied in the last week, interestingly, uh, by several people from different sources, now arguing we have to get rid of all tax relief on pension contributions. So always be suspicious of government, uh, particularly a UK government that has undergone a globalist coup and being no doubt about that. Um, I think that's what they'll do. I think rather than trying to grab lump sums, which would be considered to be a step too far, you will see people's contributions into pensions and the tax reliefs they get be reduced quite significantly. And the more, you know, the longer we go on looking at private pensions, sadly, the less attractive they became. In the mid nineties, we used to boast that we had the best private pension provision of any country in the world bar none. You know, per capita, it looked better than America. Um, and it's been on the, on the decline ever since. Yes, I think further attacks on pensions are coming without doubt. That topic you mentioned of Gordon Brown's tax changes, that's a, a favorite topic of Fortune and Freedom readers who email me. And I think they can expect more of the same, but as, you, as I think you're saying, it's a case of boiling the frog slowly, isn't it? They can't do anything outright. They can, however, make lots of small changes. Do you think people should take action about this by investing outside of their ISA, outside of their pensions, outside of whatever tax incentives governments come up with that, that they can then suddenly you know, pull the rug out from underneath? Well, for the moment, ISAs are still a very good vehicle. Let, let, let's, let, let's not make any bones about that. ISAs are a great vehicle at this moment in time. Uh, you know, the limits won't go up. But still, if you're, if, you're, if you're fortunate enough to be in the position to put money into ISAs every year, you should do so. I, I've no doubt about that. As for the myriad you know, of potential ways you can operate your own pension and the companies and schemes you can join, uh, what well, it's some and some. I mean, some are probably okay, 
because of the degree and level of self-management you've got. The others, uh, frankly, aren't and are delivered terribly. Um, and so kind of really from the start of this project, what we're trying to do is to educate investors into saying this whole world is not a complete mystery. You know, don't think you just have to give all your money to an industry that will charge you a lot of money every year and over 25 or 30 years a third of your money basically will have gone in fees and you probably won't get a very good performance over the long term so that's part of what we're doing isn't it part of the reason we're here is to say to people don't just give away all your cash and trust the industry so just about there are still advantages in private pensions sips there are still advantages but they're becoming fewer and fewer and it's important to think outside that box it feels to me like people have walked into this haunted mansion of, of various tax incentives to save and invest money and they can hear the door creaking behind them and it's about to slam shut behind them and then they know they're in trouble but let's move on to the week's news um anything you want to add to last week's budget video which we recorded just before the budget um anything that came out that surprised you it was even more vindictive than i thought it i, I, I mean i i went down that evening i was down in southampton uh, doing my GB News show from Southampton, and I'd advertised for a local business audience. If you're in local business, please come. And interesting, of, of the 50 cities in the UK, Southampton has got small more small businesses per capita than any other city. Fascinating. You know, Port City, quite a young population, a lot of people in tech, you know, who've set themselves up as computer programmers, website design, you know, all that kind of thing. Um, so I did get a really good business audience. The level of fury at the total lack of understanding in Westminster, in government, uh, in much of the media about what small business is, about what it contributes to the UK economy. And I think that sort of triple whammy of a 30% increase in business taxes that's coming, an increase in, pen, in, in, in dividend tax plus a lowering of the levels at which you start to pay dividend tax added to no relaxation of ir35 rules it's as if everybody in the treasury thinks that every single man and woman who works as a sole trader or a small business is a criminal and they must not be allowed any flexibility at all the whole agenda run dictated by big global businesses and that's all our politicians ever listen to so i think the sheer vindictiveness of it was a shock in terms of direct personal taxation well look you know just over twelve thousand pounds tax-free at the moment is what you can earn with the freezing of the limits till 2028 if inflation stayed where it was effectively that would go down to six and a half thousand pounds did you just give you some idea you know of just how much more tax everyone's going to be paying in a few years time and that for a state that gets bigger and seems to me to fail yet more and more and more whether it's the national health service or whatever else it may be uh, and, and frankly well, i have been criticized for this but though i'm used to that it was a very bad budget for hard-working people and a great budget for layabouts and i don't include pensioners in that but i mean how can we have 5.3 million people of working age not working. Apparently, whenever you can get a GP appointment, they just sign a piece of paper to say you're sick. It's ridiculous. And I'm very interested in what's happening in Italy on this regard. Uh, young Maloney, this firebrand, um, and she said very clearly this week that if somebody who's unemployed 
is offered a job and doesn't take it, their benefits will be cut. And of course, you know, governments that do that will be accused of a return to slavery and goodness knows what else. But we have to do something. And I think she's pointing the right way. So, yeah, a very bad budget, very vindictive um, is, I mean, despite it, people will still go out and try hard and do their own thing. But I think the brain drain will increase. I think a lot of young entrepreneurs will leave for Portugal, for Italy, for elsewhere. Um, and I think we're stuck with a model uh, that was put in place by Osborne and Cameron 12 years ago. Um, and it's a model for low growth. It's a model for low productivity and a model for mass immigration on a scale we've never seen. We've just this morning had the net migration figures for the last year. Net migration rose by half a million. That's almost double the previous all-time record. So the one thing I can say with total confidence is the Conservatives won't lose the next election. They're going to get wiped out even bigger than they were in 1997. So what we need to do now, I think, Nick, is start looking more closely at what Keir Starmer and Rachel Reeves are proposing for the years ahead. And at the moment, to be honest, their policies are pretty much indistinguishable from the Tories. I don't know if that's good or bad news, but uh, I want to ask about what I noticed in the 24 hours after the budget, which is complete confusion in the media about what the budget actually meant as sort of an overall narrative. I, it was called socialism, it was called austerity, and it was called absolutely everything in between. The Guardian focused on tax cuts for the, for the bankers and for the banks uh, and the Telegraph on tax hikes and, and some on welfare. And it was just it was just complete confusion. I've got no idea what's going on. How could it uh, not based be? on what the media is making of it. How could it not be? 55 days before, Kwasi Kwarteng got up, announced a pro-growth budget, albeit with slightly over-ambitious cuts in tax, and they all sat there going, isn't he marvellous? 55 days later, Jeremy Hunt gets up, says the opposite, and they all say, isn't he marvellous? I mean, you know, I mean, I'm not surprised people are confused. I mean, have you ever, has anybody ever seen a government U-turn so quickly, so fundamentally on economic policy and strategies. So, I mean, the whole thing, it's a complete and utter shambles. Uh, and one last thing to add, which is very topical, uh, and it's this. Sunak made a very specific promise that within the first 100 days of a premiership, he would establish an EU task force to get rid of up to 2,400 EU regulations. Okay. Let's make Brexit work, is what he said. In today's Financial Times, there is a letter co-signed by big businesses, global businesses and trade unions demanding that no EU laws are changed. All right. Why? Because they want to get ready for the next government to sign us back up to single market rules. And the fewer rules we get rid of, the easier it is just to literally go straight back in to that straight jacket of the single market. And I will bet you, this is an old-fashioned city expression, I will bet you every penny in Lombard Street to an orange that Sunak bows to that globalist big state agenda and we don't get fundamental reform. And if you go back to the, you know, the very beginning of Fortune and Freedom, the first conversation you and I did, you know, we were actually excited that Brexit would give us the opportunity to become a much more competitive economy than our European neighbours. And I'm sorry to say all that is being lost. I want to finish quickly by asking you about blackouts, because every media I follow in the US, Germany, Australia, England, Ireland, 
everywhere is mentioning blackouts, either the potential or the fact that they're coming and we've got to prepare for them. Are you worried about this? Oh, look, you know, go green, the lights go out. So simple. <laughs> Build lots of wind turbines, the lights go out. Oh, and by the way, don't be bullied, unless you already have been, into having an electricity meter in your home. The reason they want you to have electricity meters and water meters is so that they can manage demand, not you manage demand. And if you're on an electricity meter, they'll be able to send you an email, say you must pay another 200 quid now, or we'll cut you off. And already we've seen people in Britain whose electricity has been cut off over the space of the last two weeks. You know, I mean, God, we're going in such an Orwellian, big brother, big state direction. So do what you can to avoid meters. They're also simultaneously telling us, you know, take a shower, don't have a bath. Um, there'll be a massive campaign on all of this. It's sort of all a bit like 1976. And for, for the older ones among us, water shortages. Um, look, very simple fact is this. If we get a long, hard winter and a ruddy great anti-cyclone over Northern Europe that lasts for a couple of weeks, the lights will go out. If we get a very mild winter, will just about muddle through. And that is where the consensus among European and Western democracies has taken us. It is failure on a level I don't think we've ever seen. And I believe off the back of this, that what we know as populism, namely Brexit, Trump, Maloney, I believe it's barely started. Because the remarkable thing about 2016, the remarkable thing about the Brexit and Trump elections is they actually happened during times of relatively benign economic circumstances. So there is big, big radical change to come. <clears throat> and the investment world in 2023 is gonna be a very dangerous place. I can echo those warnings about the power meters because in my experience, they're hooked up to the wrong flat anyway. Nigel Farage, thanks for joining us. Different home, thanks for watching.